Morning, I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors here at Chapel Point, and we've been in a series of messages talking about things that matter and that we want to look into the Bible about. Have you noticed that uh, people like to celebrate who they identify with? I mean, think about sports teams. People not only wear the jersey of their team, but the number of their favorite player. They uh, have a flag sometimes on their mailbox, and they'll wear that cap. Believe me, in Washington, D.C., the fans of the Nationals are going crazy here. They've never won a World Series, so they are celebrating big time. Also notice that uh, people's license plates often celebrate their, not only their team, but something else that's important to them, and these vanity plates. I just love seeing what people have on their plates. Sometimes it's a little bit curious and interesting. But also, um, bumper stickers or now window stickers. People will uh, actually show their family members, including their cats and their dogs. What's with that? Or, or they will uh, talk about their political party that or who was running for president back when. And they'll have all of these stickers talking about who they identify with. Baptism is celebrating our identification with Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Baptism is celebrating identify, identity with Jesus Christ. But there's a problem with baptism, and that's not all Christ followers, not all believers agree about certain things. For instance, the mode, which is how people should be baptized. You're probably aware that people believe in sprinkling. They believe in pouring. We here practice immersion. So there's difference of agreements on that. And, and then the idea of who should be baptized. Should we baptize infants or should we baptize adults. There's, there's debate about that. But then the significance. Does baptism add anything to our salvation or, or has it some other kind of a meaning? Uh, as we think about that, I just think we need to keep the conversation civil when we're talking with other brothers and sisters in Christ and understand that there are some doctrinal things that are core to beca- being a Christian. Uh, things like the Trinity, that Jesus really is the Son of God and that he is uh, perfect in his humanity. That salvation is by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to the word of God. That we, those things we hold as central to Christianity. And friends, if I have a brother and sister in Christ who disagrees with me about baptism, but they own that and they've, they've trusted Christ in the gospel, that is my brother and sister in Christ and we're going to spend eternity together. And I want to have a right heart attitude even when we debate things that are disagreeable. Okay? We need to do that. Keep it civil. With honesty, with humility, with respect, with love, with demonstrating unity. So it's in that spirit that we talk about it even today. Okay? It's important. And yet, distinctive doctrines matter, uh, those things that distinguish groups of churches, because we're looking at what the Bible teaches, and it matters, and it's important. One thing you need to know, that we do not believe that baptism adds anything to our salvation. I want to make that really clear. When Jesus died on the cross, one of the seven words from the cross that he spoke when he was crucified, found in John 19.30, is this, it is finished. And and the word that's used there means paid in full. There's nothing more to pay. It's complete. It's it's finished. Also, we need to understand that the thief on the cross next to Jesus, the one who was converted, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, and he was never baptized. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 makes it really clear. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, even baptism, not of works, lest any man should boast. So baptism, if it adds nothing to our salvation, why is it important? It's important because the Bible teaches it's important, because it is celebrating our identity with Jesus Christ. So we need to let the Bible speak on this issue. Rather than tradition, rather than denomination, we need to let the Bible speak. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, because as we celebrate our identification with Jesus, John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, first book of the New Testament, John comes on the scene, and there's been 400 years where there was no new scripture given. They're called sometimes the 400 silent years. Now, God was still at work, but there was no new scripture, no new writing prophet. And John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's found in Judea. And if you read in verse 2, his message is very clear. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, repent means make a U-turn from going your way, rebelling against God, living in sin, turn back towards God in faith and repentance. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king, Jesus, had already been born. That's chapter 2. And so the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, we need to welcome and receive that king. And that was John's message. And we're told in verse 3 that this was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Also, by the way, it's a fulfillment of the prophecy in Micah that John the Baptist would come. We're told in in verse 4 and following a little bit about his um, garments and his diet. Now, John the Baptist didn't come on to start a new garment industry, and he didn't come to start a John the Baptist diet, but we're told that he wore a a camel's hair um, garment with a leather belt around it, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. Probably nobody in this place is going to go have that for lunch today. What's that about? It was identifying him with Elisha the prophet and in his attire and his diet. He's being identified with that. And and everybody from Jerusalem and Judea is going out to the area of the Jordan River because of this new prophet, including the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were the JBI, the Jewish Bureau of Investigation. They were coming to check it out because this prophet to make sure that he was speaking the right thing. John the Baptist had never read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, because he welcomed them this way, you bunch of snakes. That's literally what he's saying. And he's warning them, don't think that because you have Abraham as your ancestor that you're in. And friends, we need to be careful. Growing up in a Christian family, even growing up in a church, doesn't make a person a Christian. It has to be a personal faith in Jesus. And he says that here. He then declares, he said, I'm going to baptize you with water for repentance. But there's one coming mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's looking forward to the day of Pentecost. And with fire, that's looking forward to the second coming of Christ and judgment. And so John the Baptist's ministry was one of identification and baptism. People were being baptized by him in the Jordan. Verse 6 tells us that. Confessing their sins. So when somebody came to John's baptism, they were identifying with repentance. They were identifying and celebrating their identification with the coming king. And friends, I just want to ask you the question. Have you come to the place in your life that you have repented from going your own way, doing your own thing, in rebellion against God, and acknowledging your sin, turning to him in faith, and saying, Lord, I welcome you as my Savior, and I welcome you as my king? That was that identification. If you look a little bit further, 
as John is doing that, Jesus comes in verse 13. And so we see that there's, there's this ministry of identification with Christ and his baptism. All right? Uh, look, what, look what happens here. Jesus came from Galilee to, the Jor- to uh, Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And you imagine John's response. He would have prevented him. It was like John holding out his hand saying, no. He said, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. In other words, John is saying, you don't have anything to repent of. You are the perfect, sinless lamb of God. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus' response, it makes me ponder. He said, let it be so for now. Allow it. For this is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. What is he talking about? See, Jesus came to be the redeemer. And he's identifying with people who are there being baptized as an expression of repentance. And he said, I am going to get in the water and identify with those that are turning from their sin because that's exactly what he came to do on the cross. Jesus entered into our sin. He entered into our judgment on the cross. And he said, let it be so. This is going to fulfill righteousness, a picture of my mission. And then look what happened. Immediately when he was baptized, he came up out of the water and the heavens were opened. Just think about the clouds parting. And they saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The Holy Spirit anointing Jesus for his ministry. See, the name Messiah or Christ means the anointed one. There were three offices in the Old Testament that were all anointed with oil, anointed by the Spirit. A prophet, a priest, and a king. And Jesus is the prophet greater than Moses or any Old Testament prophet because he is the word of God, the ultimate revelation of God. And he is a priest greater than Aaron in his priesthood because he's going to offer the once for all sacrifice for sin and ever lives in his resurrection. And he's a greater king than David and Solomon because Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. So he's being anointed for his ministry at his baptism. He's being identified with sinners as redeemer, he's being identified as the Messiah in this moment. And he's also being identified as the Son of God. Because in verse 17, a voice from heaven speaks and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Three times in the gospel account, God the Father audibly spoke from heaven. At the baptism, the Mount of Transfiguration, and in John chapter 12. And every one of those times, He affirms the the identity of his son and celebrates the identity of his son as the son of God. Here the father speaks, this is the son of God. There the spirit comes, baptizing him as the Christ of God. There Jesus gets into the water with those who had repented of their sin, showing that he is the redeemer. It's all about identification. The triune God all expressed in the baptism of Jesus, celebrating this identification. Friends, do you know Jesus in that way? Do you have a personal relationship with him to saying, you are my sin bearer, the one who's my substitute for my sin? You are the prophet. You are my king. You are my great high priest. You are the son of God, and I believe in you. As you move to the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives one of, actually, there's five different statements that we call the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, go all the way to the end of this gospel, and you see this celebration 
of identification with Christ. Now, Jesus has died on the cross, and he's risen again from the dead, and he's, he's now with his disciples in Galilee before he goes back to heaven. So you got to kind of figure we're stepping into that moment of time. And 11 of the disciples are there in verse 16, verse 17. They're worshiping him. And Jesus makes this bold statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If Jesus wasn't God the Son, he could never make that claim. He's claiming to have all authority in heaven, meaning he's equal to the Father. He has all authority on earth. No human being, not Napoleon, not Caesar, not Nero, not, um, not Nebuchadnezzar, not none of the pharaohs, not Hitler. No one could make this claim but Jesus. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And he says, in light of my authority, here's what I want you to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus, in this statement, this Great Commission passage, there's really one key idea here. It is make disciples. Make disciples. He's calling his disciples now to go and make disciples. Three and a half years, he's poured into them. And in his teaching, in his training, in his relationship with them, it changed their relationship with God. It changed their relationship with one another. They were part of a new community, kind of the, the, the church in embryo. And then it was going to change everything in terms of their relationship with the world. Being a Christ follower would now define them. And he says, as Christ followers, here's what you need to do. You need to go share my message with those in your network of relationships. Go and, and share the good news. Then he says, be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them not just to know and be informed, but to actually apply and practice. And he said, in this way, by going, baptizing, and teaching, you're going to help others also become my followers. So please notice this. Jesus is saying that baptism is absolutely important to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Absolutely important. Baptism is, a, is, is actually a statement that we are Christ followers. It's like raising the flag and saying, here's who I'm following. Here's what I stand for. You know, one of the questions people have is, um, what does the word baptism actually mean? So I don't usually do this in a, in a message, but we're going to have a very short Greek class, okay? So you ready for this? One word. The word baptize, translated in the Bible, baptize, actually transliterated, is a word that comes from the Greek word baptizo. I want you to say that with me, everybody, okay? Baptizo. One more time. Baptizo. Now, what does the word baptizo mean? What does the word actually mean? The word literally means to dip, plunge, submerge, or immerse. That's what it means. It was used by the Jews in, in their expression of baptism, and archaeologists have found all over Israel baptismal tanks where there were steps going down in, and the Jews practiced a ritual baptism for cleansing. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you had to go through baptism. Where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, they actually found one of those baptismal tanks, as I would call it, steps going down. They practiced baptism by immersion. That's what they did. Something else you ought to know, the word baptizo didn't just uh, have a religious meaning. It actually was used in the marketplace to talk about dyeing a garment. 
For instance, in uh, Acts chapter 16, we encounter a woman named Lydia. And Lydia was a wealthy woman. Her home was big enough to be able to host the entire church. And, and she made her money as a seller of purple, purple dye. Uh, where did they make purple from? Seashells that they gathered from the Mediterranean. They, they ground them up into a powder. They encased them in rope and then sold them on the marketplace so that people could take their linen garments or other garments and they could dye them purple. Now listen, friends, when you dye a garment, you don't sprinkle a little bit of dye on it. You don't just pour a little dye over it. You totally submerge, plunge, immerse it in that dye. And when it comes up out of there, that purple color in this case would be now on the garment and it's identified as purple. That's the word baptizo. That's what it means. Jesus said, I want you to be so identified with me. By your baptism, you're saying to one another and the world, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want that to define my life more than anything else. Changing my relationship with God, changing my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and changing my relationship with the world as I'm now on a mission to share with Jesus with other people identification with Christ as a disciple. So, friends, I want to just say something here. This is a matter of obedience. Jesus is not saying this is the great suggestion, it's the great commission. It's a matter of obedience to him to be baptized. And so, I think it's important to understand that Jesus is calling his followers to be baptized. That's why this matters. That's why it's important. Look ahead with me in Acts chapter 2. Go a few books further. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost, the, the birthday of the church. And on this day, just God's spirit um, took, this, took this event that had been practiced as a part of the festivals of Israel for years, and, and now he gave new meaning to it as the Holy Spirit came upon those believers gathered in the upper room praying, and they began to speak with known languages and in and, and doing so, it identified that this was the miracle of God. And Peter stands up and preaches a message. It's the first sermon in the church age. Great example of, of Christ-centered preaching. And at the end of Peter's sermon, people aren't asking, where are we going to eat or who's playing in the NFL? That wasn't the question in their minds. Matter of fact, if you look with me in Acts chapter 2, Peter kind of brings the message home in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord, Master, God, and Christ, this Jesus that you crucified. By the way, I'm responsible and you're responsible for the death of Jesus because it's because of our sin that he died. And those that heard it were cut to their heart. They were convicted and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus. Notice the order. Repent and then be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, that is the promise of the Holy Spirit, is for you Jews and for your children and for those who are far off, meaning Gentiles, everyone that the Lord our God calls to himself. And Peter continued to preach many other words. He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this perverted or crooked generation that had crucified Christ. Now look carefully at verse 41 and 42. Those who received his word, that means they embraced the message that Peter was preaching. They embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Were baptized, and then there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
3,000 people trusted Jesus as Savior and were baptized. There must have been some baptismal service. 3,000 people followed Christ in baptism. And they were added to the church. Some people will say, the Bible doesn't teach church membership. Friends, they knew who was in and they knew who was out on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people made that commitment. And look what happens. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. That's the early church. Jesus had said, go share the gospel. Peter did. He said, baptize them. They did. Then teach them. That's what they did. And so we have a pattern here of salvation, then baptism, and then church membership. Friends, it's based on that and other passages like that. Why Chapel Point takes the position that to be a member here, you have to first of all have a profession of faith in Jesus. And second of all, you have to follow Christ in baptism, believer's baptism by immersion. And then you need to be ready to make a commitment to the local church and and to move from being a customer to being a partner. And that's what it's about. Friends, baptism is is, is celebrating our identification with one another in the church. It's celebrating that identification. I just want you to know I love the church and I love this church. It is a privilege to be a part of a church like this. It's a privilege to be a part with people who are like-minded and like-hearted, who are following hard after Jesus, because we came to that place saying, I want to be identified with him. I want to follow Jesus. And and friends, if you've never taken that step of baptism, and you've never taken that step of church membership, I want to challenge you. That might be the next steps for you in your spiritual journey. And we just say, come on in. Come on in. Go a little bit further in Acts chapter 8. And I'm just going to tell you this uh, story quickly because it's, a, it's an amazing story. So in, in Acts chapter 8, we have a guy named Philip who was a deacon in Jerusalem who goes to a place called Samaria, just north of uh, J- uh, Judah. And the Samaritans, you know, they had a history of disagreement and conflict with the Jews about a lot of religious things. Remember the story about the good Samaritan? And then in John 4, we have the bad Samaritan, the woman at the well. And so you've got these, you've got these stories about that. And then now Philip goes to Samaria, and he begins to, to preach the gospel. And God does something amazing. There's a spiritual awakening. People are coming to Jesus by, by hundreds. Uh, satanic power is being broken. And in the midst of all of that, an angel comes to Philip and says, God, a new assignment for you. You need to go down to Gaza, which is desert. Go down south into the middle of the desert. Not telling him what he's going to do. Uh, frankly, if I was Philip, I might have said, you might have the wrong person here. I'm, I'm being used to God right here. But no disagreement, no debate. He just goes and obeys. Now, I have to ask you a deep theological question this morning. If you were to travel through the desert, what's one thing you would take? Go ahead, don't be ashamed. What would you take? Take water, friends. So just remember that as we, as we think about this text. So here Philip goes down to the, the place called des- the desert there, the road, and as he's there on the road, there is an Ethiopian servant who's the treasurer of the queen coming back from Jerusalem where he had been there to worship. He's riding in his chariot, reading the scroll of Isaiah. He apparently had purchased that scroll, and he's reading it. By the way, don't text and drive, and don't read Isaiah and drive either. He probably had someone else driving the chariot. 
Okay, so they're riding along, and the Bible tells us this, that Philip is running alongside the chariot, and he's listening to this guy read. He's, he's got to be in pretty good shape because he's keeping up with the chariot. And he hears this guy reading out loud Isaiah chapter 53, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible about the substitutionary death of Jesus. Great prophecy, phenomenal passage. And that's where he's reading in the providence of God and the timing of God. So Philip, running alongside, says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, um, how can I except some man guide me? By the way, in sharing your faith with other people, sometimes start with a question rather than a statement. That's what he did. And he invited Philip up into the chariot. And at that point, I think that Philip was glad to be riding in the chariot instead of running alongside the chariot. And he comes up in the chariot, and they have this conversation. The Ethiopian eunuch asks him a question. Who's Isaiah speaking about? Himself or some other person? Is this Isaiah talking about Isaiah or is it someone else? And I love this. Philip began at that same passage and preached Jesus to him. He preached to him Jesus. As they're riding along, the Ethiopian eunuch says something. He said, "Um, here's a body of water. Here is water. Maybe an oasis or what they call a weighty, a, a small lake or pond surrounded by trees. He said, here's, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip clarified his own profession of faith. He took him down into the water. You can read about this right here. They stopped the, the chariot. And um, when, when, when you look, he said, what prevents me from being baptized? Verse 37, they commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, friend, Again, if you're traveling in the desert, what would you bring with you? Water. Okay. So if baptism was by sprinkling, and probably this Ethiopian eunuch would not have been traveling alone, if he was a treasure of the queen, he would have had an entourage, he would have had other servants, maybe some guards with him, traveling with him. You would have had water enough to be able to provide for the survival of those people and even their, their, um, their horses. And so you could have baptized by sprinkling anywhere. You could have baptized by pouring anywhere. But he says, here's a body of water. Here's enough water for me to be immersed. What keeps me from being baptized? And he was. Friends, the Ethiopian eunuch's profession of faith was followed by baptism. Because it's in baptism that we say. It's one of the many ways that we say. Now, you may have grown up in a, in a church or a denomination where professing your faith in Christ was done in a different way. And, and friends, whenever we profess our faith in Christ, I celebrate that. Whenever we declare him to be our Savior and Lord, I'm all in for that. But here in the Bible, the Ethiopian eunuch said, I want to show my faith in Jesus by being baptized, by taking that step of following him. Now, some of you may be asking the question, does it really make any difference? Does the mode of baptism really matter? I mean, after all, as long as a person's baptized, isn't that the, the only thing that matters? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because if you look with me in Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about baptism. And this is the final passage for this morning, but I want you to turn there with me. Romans chapter 6. Paul ends in Romans 5 declaring that becoming righteous before God, being justified is the word, is done only by the grace of God and only through faith in Jesus. But he has something very profound that he says. 
He said, now, listen, you need to know that where sin increased, verse 20 of Romans 5, grace abounds even more. In other words, when sin becomes like a mountain that's high, God's grace is even a higher mountain. When sin has dug a deep valley below, God's grace is deeper than that. God's grace is always more than your sin. And friends, that's good news, isn't it? But Paul, being the kind of thinker he is, understands that people may misunderstand that. So he says, um, some people might say, because grace abounds where sin abounds, then I might as well keep on sinning. So he begins to address that issue in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we keep on sinning that God's grace can overflow? And some people have treated the grace of God as a license for sin. And Paul is speaking against that. He says in verse 2, by no means. Or we'd say today, no way. How can we, and watch this now, who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer should be enslaved to sin. Now, Look up here for a minute. Paul is saying that baptism has to do with celebrating our identification with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, baptism pictures the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ gave two ordinances or practices to the church. The Lord's table that pictures the gospel through his body and his shed blood. Baptism also pictures the gospel. And so he's saying baptism reminds us that not only did Jesus die for us as our substitute and rise again so that we could be justified, but we died with Jesus and we were buried with Jesus and raised again. We are identified with him through the gospel and that's how we live the Christian life. Paul's foundation of the Christian life is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is how we live this life. We live it by grace, we live it by faith, we live it through Christ, and he changes us through the gospel one day at a time. It's our identification with Jesus that gives us the power for a changed life. Now, question, which mode of baptism best pictures death, burial, and resurrection? Sprinkling water, pouring water, or if this was removed here and we had the baptismal uh, open, we take people and we actually uh, place them down under the water. We've never drowned anybody yet. We always bring them up, okay? And we talk about death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. I want to say to you, the mode of baptism matters because of what it is supposed to picture. The mode of baptism pictures the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In a sense, it, it pictures and celebrates that identification. So friends, when it comes to this topic of baptism, I'm just asking you a couple things. First of all, let the Bible speak. 
Let's set aside tradition. Let's set aside denomination. Let's just let the Bible speak. Let the Word of God speak. After all, we claim that the Bible's our authority, but sometimes we let other voices be our authority. Secondly, I want to invite you, if you're struggling with this, it's okay. Pray and determine to obey God, whatever he tells you to do. Pray and determine to obey God. Ask your questions, friends. This is a safe place to ask your questions. That's why we have baptism classes six times a year. We don't ever assume that a person comes to the class is going to be baptized. What we do assume that they're going to come to learn and that they can get their questions answered. And I love being able to meet with people to answer their questions. For some of you, you've been baptized. And this morning, I want to just call you back to say, listen, your baptism ought to remind you every day that you've repented of your sin and you've welcomed Jesus as your king. Your baptism ought to remind you that you have put your faith in Jesus as your redeemer, as the Messiah, as the one who is the son of God. It ought to remind you that you have declared to be a follower of Jesus as the defining relationship in your life. I'd remind you that you've joined together with the people of God through a local church like this. I'd remind you that you're declaring your personal faith in Jesus and that, that you have been identified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. It means all of that. It means all of that for those of us that have been baptized. But for those of you that haven't yet, I want to challenge you. We have an opportunity next Sunday morning. We're going to have a baptismal. And you say, you know what, I, I, I think I'm ready to take that step. Then at the guest services, just on the other side of the gathering space there, they've got some forms, some questionnaires for you to fill out to prepare. And you get that into us by, by Wednesday, we'll be planning a baptism this coming Sunday. There'll be a number of people that'll be following Christ in that way. That could be your time to do that. We're not here to twist your arm, please. This is a matter of conscience. It's a matter of, of your soul before God. But let the Bible speak and simply obey what God says. Understand, friends, well, it adds nothing to your salvation. It pictures everything about the Christian life. It pictures who Jesus is, your faith in him. And it matters from that standpoint. Friends, I, I just want you to know, I was baptized as an infant. I don't remember the event, the piece of paper that shows me I was. And then at 18 years old, I began to understand what the Bible teaches I began to discover, and, and I struggle with it like some of you may be struggling. But as I studied the Bible, I came to be convinced that this is what the Bible taught. And for me, it was a pretty major step of saying, I, I just want to go public. I want to be able to picture my identification with Christ, that I'm celebrating that relationship. For some of you, I get it why you struggle. I understand. But friends... Let the Bible speak, pray, and obey what God says. That's all we're asking to do. And if you do that, I think if you, if you do choose to follow Christ in baptism, it'll be a red-letter day for you because you're saying, on this day, I proclaimed as an adult, as a follower of Jesus, my relationship with him is central to my life, and nothing is more important than that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it speaks and the, what it teaches. Thank you that we can embrace it by faith and with obedience. And Lord, thank you that you have made clear 
what baptism means and what its significance is and, and how we're to celebrate our identity with you. So God, I pray that in the hearts of people today that they'll be open and consider what your word teaches. That as you lead them, they'll be ready to take that step of obedience and to celebrate their identification with Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.